as we started out 2023, we talked about being on a journey with God. And whether you've known Jesus Christ as your Savior your whole life, or maybe only a year, you're young in your faith, or maybe it's been a, maybe a week, maybe, maybe you're in here and you don't even know who Jesus Christ is. Um, you've heard his name talked about different places. But we're on a journey with God. And this journey takes time. And, and I said I, when I first started this series, I said, I recommend a slow and steady pace. Um, it takes time to grow in your faith with Jesus Christ. And uh, it, I sort of look like this. It's like, it's like as a farmer or a gardener, we all know that it takes time one to plant. But then when you plant, you go on that field a couple weeks later, I'm sorry, you might find something maybe sprouting out, but there's no fruit ready to pick yet. The harvest isn't ready. There's seasons that come and go. And every farmer, every gardener knows if you go out in your garden, you go out in your field as a farmer, it's going to take a planting season and there'll be a harvest season. And there'll be a time I'm going to see some growth. And it's the same way as a Christian. It takes time in our spiritual journey. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you say, I ask for forgiveness and he forgives you. And you surrender your life to him and you start living this life that is pleasing to God. There is going to be growth. You may not see significant growth right away. You may not see even fruitful living that you are hoping immediately. You will see growth, but it takes time for growth to happen. We know there's evidence, but as I said, it takes time. So just as we prepare the soil for the seed, our hearts have to be prepared as well. As we put God's word as a foundation into our hearts, it must be planted daily. It isn't one of those, like a farmer, I went in my field, I put my seed in, I'm done for another time. Our hearts need daily planting. Prayer, fasting, worship, singing is like the water and the sunshine that comes in and helps the growth process. And as I journey, and as you journey, we're not on a journey alone, are we? As we just showed as a church family how we pray for one another, how we encourage one another's parents. This is a journey that we do together. But here's the thing. On this journey, we have to have a guide. We have to have one we trust. And the journey is all about trusting God and not the things in this world. When, when things don't go right, when, when uh, we're in our world and, and things begin to unravel or discouragement kicks you below the belt or doubt knocks on the heart of your door, the door of your heart and just un, un, uh, unexpectedly just wants to interrupt your life, you're just like, I don't need this. I don't, I don't want this. And we start to wonder, God, are you still with me on this journey? Because we were journeying and we're journeying with you and we're, we're growing with you. But right now how I'm feeling are you still with me or did I, did I take the wrong trail? What, what, what happened here, right? I think we have those moments. And today, here's, this is a real simple sermon. I just want you to know the one who is guiding you. I want you to know the one that we're supposed to trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was our verse last week that we really focused on. There's a lot of scripture. I'll put it on the screen. But it was really all coming back to this. It's all about trust. It's trusting who? In the Lord. We, we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We're not dependent on our own understanding, but in all of our ways we're acknowledging him. We're knowing him. And he's the one that's going to direct our paths. So here's the thing. If you know about me, uh, know something about me. Uh, I, I love the mountains. And, and, I, and I mentioned this 
earlier, the first service, I didn't know, but all this, a lot of the songs we sang today, a lot of mountains were popping up on the screen. And I was like, oh, man, I, not that I'm in heaven, but thank you. But I, I'm a mountaintop lover. And, and here's why. I love being on top of the mountain because I feel like I've accomplished something great. To get there, it's like I, I did it. I, I made it. And then, oh, by the way, from up there, you can see so much. And it's incredible. But the best thing about being on top of the mountain is I feel small. Because when you look out and you see how big everything is, how big God is, it makes me feel really small. And that's a good feeling too. Hard to believe, right? The greatness of God is seen in his creation. And, 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 I, and I, I love that. I, I don't like valleys. I don't like valleys. They're dark, they're dismal, they're dense. Um, my vision is limited. I look around, all I see is trees and rocks. And it's like, okay, whatever, you know. Um, I, I'm ready to get to the top. But there's parts of our journey that are like this. Psalm 23, what did David say? David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, I was like, I do not want to be here. This is a place I don't like hanging out. I want the mountaintop, but sometimes my journey takes me through a valley. And, but what else did David say about as he journeyed to the valley of the shadow of death? He said, I will fear no evil for you're with me. See, our guide, our God does not abandon us in those moments when we think we are alone. When we're on that spiritual journey and we're feeling in the valley, God is still there. He is still there. Now, years ago, um, I, I shared the story about the caving experience I had. Many of you have heard that story. Some of you can probably retell the story better than me. Uh, some of you are like, I have no idea what the story is about a cave. So I will, I will condense it really quick. But basically, it was a cave that I went in that had a thing called the Infinity Crawl, an underground river. There were bats. There was darkness. There was a lot of stuff. We're going in one side of the mountain, coming out the other side of the mountain, four hours long through this underground cave with multiple trails, multiple tunnels that led to nowhere. Um, that four-hour trip underground took about 40 years off my life. Um, I will say that. Uh, but what we discovered when we were through that cave, especially Infinity Crawl, when we had 11 inches of crawl space, and we're just sort of shimming along for 45 minutes, and my head's cranked one way, and I try to see the other way, and I'm noticing all these other trails. It, it was in that moment... When, when even though I was supposed to be a leader and our guide Mike is way in front and I'm in the back and all things go through your mind, you know, the first one to die is the guy in the back, right? And then I'm seeing all these trails and I start questioning. I, I, I questioned. I did. I was like, why am I doing this? What, what if we die in here? Why would Mike bring us here? And then I had to ask the question, but would Mike take me somewhere just to die? would Mike take me into a place that could cause harm to me? And I had to answer that question honestly. No, Mike would never do that. Mike's my friend. Mike loves me like a brother. He would never take me somewhere to the point of death. And I believe the same thing about God. He's not going to take me somewhere on a trail, on a journey that's going to that's gonna like annihilate my life. It's like, <laughs> I just have pleasure in making you cry, Rex. That's not God. In that cave with about 30 minutes left, Mike asked, who wants to take point? He always did that. He always found, he, he looked at our students and he said, who wants to lead? Who's going to take point? Who's going to lead us out? And if you remember the story, three cheerleaders raised their hand, said, we will. And I lowered my head in disgust thinking, we're dead, right? Because this ain't going to happen. There's no way they'll get us out of here. 
There's, there's no exit sign. There's no marked trail. It's dark. There's, there's no, like, crumbs to follow your way out. How are these three high school girls going to lead us? There's no way. We got 30 minutes to go, and we got to a spot. Go left or go right. Which cave are we, which tunnel are we going to take? And within five minutes, we were outside the cave. And as you remember the story I asked the girls, I said, first, I apologize for, for not believing them. And the second thing I said, how did you know? How, how did you know to go the right way? How did you know which path to take? And I said, we've walked with Mike for the last three hours. And over those last three hours, he pointed out things about caves, about how your backpack might rub up against the wall and make it smooth so you know somebody came through here or how wind moves in and out of a, an entrance. And they, they picked up on They learned all these things from Mike. He said, so that's, we just used what we learned from him to help us get out. And it hit me. When you, and the moral of the story, you know, when I tell people when I, about what happened with me, I say, when you listen to the right voice, you make the right choice. That's what I've learned through that. When you walk with Jesus Christ, he will help you on your journey when it comes to making those decisions. And when you feel like you're alone, you're not. But here's the thing. If you've been walking with God, he will help you as you continue to journey with him in those moments when you feel like he's not there. Because he's already taught you and he's still teaching you, right? So again, I, I trust God. Even when there's no good outcome, I've learned to trust him. Have you? But to, to answer that question, maybe we ought to ask, who's God? Trust in the Lord. Okay, who's the Lord? Can, can you, when you think about this, what you know and what you believe about God will direct your behavior and your trust on your journey. It's going to dictate everything you do. And here's the problem. We are broken people. We are fallen people. We are imperfect people. So our perception, our understanding of God is also flawed and broken as well. That's just the way it is. Um, I think about this. Where did I learn about God? Where did you learn about God? Was it at your church? Was it, was it through a friend? Was it on TV? Was it maybe social media? Was it, you know, and I've, I've seen some things out there on social media like, oh, God's like this. And you're watching, you're going, he is not like that. But here's the thing. I know that because I've been in his word. I know God, but somebody who's not been in his word, who's listening, they think this is the way God is. Maybe you grew up in a church and you were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every missionary conference night. And I mean, if the doors were open, you were there and, and they, they preach this the way God is and or maybe you've never been in a church, but you heard about God one time you went to a church. Where did you learn about God? Because here's the thing. If you have a distorted view about God, you're going to have a distorted walk and journey with God. I um, had been to the Dominican Republic like six, seven times. We were taking another team, getting them around. Only this time I was not going to go. We prepared the leaders. They went to the Dominican Republic for two weeks. They had a good and productive time. They came back, and I found out there's some, some decisions that were made while they were over there uh, that were not the, the healthiest of decisions, uh, some, that created a little bit of controversy, nothing major. Um, but as I sat down with the leaders and I, and I asked them, I said, um, so when you made that decision which created a little controversy, um, why did you decide to do what you did, that you, that you made that decision? And I said, well, we thought this is the way you as a leader would have handled it. So that's why we made that choice. Now, here's the problem. They had a distorted view of the way I would have handled it because I would have not have handled it that way. But they thought that, well, that's how Rex would handle it. See, when they, their, their distorted view of me and what I would do 
cause them to do something that was not good. We do the same thing with God all the time. My distorted view of God sometimes will cause me to make bad choices. Thinking, well, this is what God would do, right? And it's sort of funny because like, do we really think we know what God would do? Do we really, can we really put ourselves in that, in that camp to think that we're, we're qualified like that? And here's another thing about a distorted view of God. Have you ever, you know, oh, I often pray like this, so I'm sure you have. A lot of times when I pray, I'll say, Heavenly Father. He's my Heavenly Father. Now, when I say Father, for some of you, you hear Father, and you relate Heavenly Father to your earthly father. What kind of earthly father did you have? Was your, was your earthly father just quiet and cool and calm? Was your, was your earthly father a hothead and, and would just blow up and get angry at anything? What, was your earthly father very demanding? Oh, you better get this done. You better get that done. And if you succeed or fail, you're going to hear it from me. You, you, you mess up on a ball game. You're driving home thinking, dad's going to give it to me on the way home. I mean, if that's your earthly father, that could very be, definitely be your view of a heavenly father. I better not mess up with God because he's going to come down on me. Or if your earthly father was never around and never said, I love you, he's an absentee father. Guess what your view of a heavenly father could be like? God's not around. He doesn't love me. He never tells me. See, we can have a distorted view of our heavenly father just because of our earthly fathers. So where do we go with this? Our view, our perception of God is really going to determine how well we trust God. If I'm throwing Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 up on the screen, and I'm saying, trust in the Lord, the question is, who's the Lord? Who is your God? How do you perceive him? How do you define him? We know a lot about celebrities and all-stars because we can read about them in the paper all the time or social media. And, or we, we watch them and think, oh, well, that superstar, that all-star, you know. You know what would be better than reading about somebody? Spending time with them. Actually sitting down and asking them questions and getting to know them face-to-face, right? Wouldn't that be great? Isn't it the same way with God? To go beyond what we're doing right now, right now we're just talking about God. We're getting information about God. But what if we spent time with God one-on-one? And it's like, Rex, this isn't Old Testament. This isn't New Testament. You know, like Jesus spent time with the disciples. He walked with the disciples. He was God. And it, it's not like he's walking around here right now. But I believe there are ways in which we can come to know God more intimately. And I think one of the first things we need to do, and I want to encourage you with this, in getting to know God better is this, we need to make him more mighty. We need to show more reverence. We need to be in awe of God. He must be greater, we must be smaller. Basically what I'm saying is our view of God is too small. We need to increase that. He is not the big man upstairs. He's, he's not, you know, people use different things uh, and ways that, to talk about God. And even me saying God is our guide, I almost feel like I'm, I'm being disrespectful and calling God a guide. He's God, period. Do we respect God and honor God and worship God in that way where we lift him up and say, he's God, and I am incredibly small here. I am not God. I think that's one of the first ways in in coming to know God better is putting him in his proper place, and that is above all things. The top priority. If he is truly God and can do all things, why are we not pursuing him more often? Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 and 26 We learn this about God as 
It says, to whom then will you compare me? That I would be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? We're talking about stars, by the way, the stars in the sky. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. This is how big God is. He's so holy. He is so set apart. Let's begin with the fact that with his creative powers. He says he calls out the stars one by one, right? He brings out the host by number. He calls them all by name as he stars, as he creates them. It's like he calls them by name. He says not one is missing. He knows all of them. Now pause for a second. God created all the stars in the sky. How many stars are in the sky? You ever ask that question? Somebody's probably going to Google it. Don't do it now because we'll hear Siri go off on us and we don't want to talk about that. But here's the thing. If you look up in the sky on a clear night, you look up and you're going to see hundreds of thousands of stars, right? And it's like, we can't even count them. So I went to an astrology couple websites and started researching this. I wanted an answer, right? That's what we do. So here's the thing. What we can, what we can count is only a tiny fraction. So how do we do this? Here's what they do. They start with this, first of all, understanding besides stars, there's galaxies. So when we look up in the sky, what you might not be able to see with, with, the, with your own eye is there are galaxies. And within galaxies are clusters of stars and planets and gases and dust and so forth, right? Bunched all together. Earth is in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, so let's just start right there. Scientists take very detailed pictures of small parts of the sky. And then in that small part, they count all the galaxies that are in that small part. And then they take all these small parts of all over the sky, with the, and then they multiply that. And here's what they came up with. They came up with two trillion galaxies in our universe. Two trillion galaxies. That's the number that these scientists have come up with. Now, astronomers don't know exactly how many stars are in each of these two trillion galaxies, so this is what they did, because they go into the Milky Way, and they're like, well, let's start counting how many stars we can imagine would be in the Milky Way. So they determine by the brightness and the color to estimate how many stars are in our galaxy. And they came up with a number of 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. Now, Using the Milky Way model, they say, well, if there's 100 billion stars, let's multiply that by 2 trillion galaxies. You guys know what 100 billion times 2 trillion is? Let me put the answer up on the board for you. That's uh, 200 sextillion. That's, in other words, that's a 2 with a bunch of zeros behind it, okay? According to astronomers and, and scientists, they're saying that's how many stars are in our universe, God's like, I know them all by name. I call them out. Listen, I've got three boys, and I mess up their names on occasion. <laughs> if I had that many children, I'm sorry. Yeah, what's your name? Okay, I won't remember it. Um, that's the way it's going to work, right? But that's God. I mean, I don't know if that blows you away. And this is even hard. Let me give you a better idea. If we were to take all the oceans in the world and pull a cup of water out of all the oceans and multiply that by 10, that's the number of stars. How about that? Does that help? Oh, man, that is even crazier, isn't it? Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and 34 
says this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Not only is he powerful and creative in what he does, his wisdom is immeasurable. His understanding is beyond ours. You take the most simple thing about God and you say, here's the most simple thing about God, and I still don't get it. That's how awesome our God is. All-powerful, all-daring, I, I, all-knowing, I, I, I dare not try to figure him out on my own. I, I, I can't. He's not manageable. But that's what we do as humans, aren't we? We're like, well, if I were God, this is what I would have done. Well, this is the way God is. And we, what we do, we we're trying to put him in a box so we can define him. So we, he's more manageable. He's, he's not manageable. He's not. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. And yet, you know, here's the crazy thing. Knowing all that, and yet, do we trust him as our guide? I mean, he, he creates everything. He knows everything. He can lead us where we need to go, knowing everything. He's got great plans for us. Do you trust him to take you where you need to go? Of course I do. Do you? Let's, let's rewind back in history for a moment. Let's go to the book of Exodus. The children of Israel are slaves to Egypt. For 400 years, they've not heard from God. They're like, we're done. Who's, who, who is this God? That was, he loves us. And then this guy by the name of Moses shows up. Moses says, God sent me to free you. You are his children. We're going to take this journey out, and we're going to be free. And what happens next? Ten plagues. Remember the ten plagues on Egypt? Every plague was basically an attack on an Egyptian god. The Egyptian gods had something that they believed in and they worshipped, and every plague basically wiped it out, wiped it out. The last plague, the tenth one, was that they believed that the Pharaoh could become a god. Oh, and what happened? The oldest son of Pharaoh died. What, a god can die? Yeah, you know what, because our god's bigger. And so all these, these, these people of Israel, these children of Israel, they're, they're stepping back and like, God is big. Yeah, he is. And Moses says, let's go, we're going. And they leave and they get out in the wilderness. They, their clothing, in all the years that they walked out in that, in that wilderness, their clothing never wore out. God always provided food. He always provided water. And when they were pinned up against the Red Sea with an army behind them, God just opened up the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground and then closed it behind them. I mean, they saw the power of God time and time and time again, right? I mean, how can you not trust God when you see that kind of power? Because we're all like, if I lived back in that day, oh, it would be so much easier to trust God. You don't know what it's like to trust God right now. But if I lived back then, it would be so much easier. Wait a second. Moses gets to, they get to this mountain, and Moses like, I'm going to go up on the mountain, I need to talk to God. He's got some things he wants to share with me. He's got a covenant, an agreement between us and him that he's going to make with us. So Moses goes up to the mountain. Meanwhile, everybody's down below and they're hanging out and they're waiting. They're waiting. And they're waiting. Moses ain't coming down. It's getting a little rumbly up there on the top of the mountain. Maybe, maybe God isn't with, maybe, you know, we need somebody like God. So how about everybody bring in their gold and we're going we're gonna to melt it down and we're going to make a golden calf that will be like God, is what Scripture says. So it's like, well, we want somebody like God, but we, we just need to see it because Moses isn't here, right? And what happens next makes, makes Las Vegas look like a sixth grade nap or a preschool nap. I mean, it's like it's sin on steroids, what takes place in the camp then, and it's, it gets disgusting. And it's like, 
how could they do this? They just saw all the power, the 10 plagues, the, the Red Sea, the, the food, the water, the clothes. It's like God is big and powerful, but yet they still felt like there's something missing. Where's, where's he at? So, so they, they replaced God with their own self-fulfillment. And as I said, there's times where we sit there and we say, I would, I would have never done that. I would have never done that, but I think we have. I think there's times in our life, me personally, I'll just let me speak from personal experience. In my life, there are times when I'm like, I know I'm supposed to trust God, but maybe unconsciously, unintentionally, I replace God with sports or, or a pursuit of success, self-fulfillment, money, popularity, whatever it might be. It's like, I, I'm pursuing that. And it's like, why? Because I'm trying to find something like God because my heart is hurting for God, just like yours is. Our hearts long for God. But sometimes we try to replace it, right? God is God, but we just try to find the benefit of God through other things. We try to find something that will give us peace, something that will give us security, something that will um, bring happiness. And so unintentionally, unconsciously, sometimes we just we make that exchange. And it's a bad exchange, by the way. Trust in the Lord with all our heart. And here's the thing. When, when I don't understand why I did what I did, I need to stop and go, now who is God again? So let's go back to that. Who is this God that you're trusting? When you start getting to that moment when you're like, can I trust God? Go back to who God is, his very nature. Very quickly, Isaiah 54.10 says this, for the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on us. Another scripture, Romans 8, 38 to 39. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for the day or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Instead, I'm sorry, indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, listen to me very carefully. God loves you. Mountains can fall and be moved and put away, but God's love remains faithful. I mean, we think of the sturdiest thing out there, but God's love remains faithful. That's the nature of God. It's like, but God, God hates people. He hates sinners, right? Isn't that what we were told by somebody? You haven't seen, haven't seen it in the news? I mean, if we pick on somebody that maybe looks a certain way or dresses a certain way, Christians, we don't like them because God doesn't like them. Is that really the nature of God? Ezekiel 18, 23 says this. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. He goes on to say this in verse 30 and following. Therefore, I will judge each of you. O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the sovereign Lord, repent Turn from your sins. Don't let them destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die? Oh, people of Israel, I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. It's like, well, that's Old Testament. Well, what did Peter, who walked with Jesus, have to say? He said, the Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. 
our God is a God of love. He doesn't want even the wickedest of people to die. That's the God who wants to lead you. That's the God who wants to guide you. You can't manage him. You can't outthink him. He is powerful, all-knowing, and he says, I love you. I love you when you're at your worst. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? The nature of God, loving, righteous, holy. You want to know the one you're following? That's him. You want to know more about him? Get outside and step into his creative art studio. Look at nature, look at people, look at animals, look at vegetation, and be amazed at what God has created. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4 says this, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Church, you want to know more about the God that you follow? Look around at creation. One other thing I would encourage you, you want to know more about God? Read something from the Gospels every day. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. When you read about Jesus, you learn about God. Read through that. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I, uh, I want to encourage you to, if you've not seen the devotional that came out in this week's email about God being a jealous God, please read that. It goes right in with what we're talking about. God, in a sense, is jealous God. He doesn't want us to worship anybody else. He wants us to worship him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to follow him. But here's the thing. We, we, there's so many other things that are competing for God's position in our heart. And I was talking with a few people this week, just sort of said, you know, I sort of got a glimpse, maybe, maybe a little glimpse, of how to, how to take a step forward in, in handling this. Because I, I, I know that my heart chases after a lot of things, and it's like, but you know what? If I could just chase after God, then all these other things wouldn't matter, right? If I could just trust God, all these other things wouldn't matter, right? So here's, here's my discovery. Uh, Wednesday night, every Wednesday night, 10 o'clock, get down to Panera in Toledo, pick up all the leftovers for our food pantry on Thursday. And so typically there's a box or two of bread. Typically it's got all kinds of yummies in there. Typically on a Wednesday, I might miss dinner or lunch, one of the two, just because of my schedule on Wednesday and things are going, it's like I don't have time to eat. And then, so usually about 9.30 on the way down, I'm getting really hungry. And about 10 o'clock, I get to Panera, I'm seeing cinnamon bagels and scones and muffins. And I don't know what that cookie is that's this big and it's got everything in it. All I know is it's good. And, and I'm so tempted. It's like 10 o'clock, 10.30 night, eating a, eating a couple pounds of sugar. It's probably not the healthiest thing for me. I probably shouldn't do that. Nobody should probably do that, right? But it's like, it's such a temptation. And, and I, every Wednesday is that way. For the last two years, it's been a Wednesday night temptation. So you just pray for me every Wednesday at 10 o'clock, okay, that I stay strong. Um, but as, as, I, as I was going, I'm thinking, why have I not, you know, I sort of, battle. We do this spiritually too, right? A battle like, what should I do? What should I do? It's like, oh, you know what? How about if I just pull in a, maybe a restaurant and just get a chicken sandwich real quick? If, if I fill my stomach with something, it's, I know it's not the healthiest thing, but it's healthier than all that sugar, right? So what if I put a chicken sandwich in my stomach? 
I, it won't want all the other stuff. I showed up at Panera. So I grabbed the chicken sandwich and uh, I showed up at Panera. There was like seven, eight boxes and bags. I, my back seat was to the roof filled with Panera. My passenger seat was filled with Panera. There were so many cookies and bagels and sweets and breads. And I'm like, I'm surrounded by the devil. Okay, you know what I'm saying? It's like temptation all around. But next to me, I had this chicken sandwich. It's like, I just started eating on that chicken sandwich. And you know what? Didn't want anything else. And, and, and I know it sounds goofy and simple, but here's the thing. If I can just take God and try to know more about who God is and just trust him, I won't have to worry about all the other stuff that's trying to get my attention. All the other self-fulfillment, sports, success, money, popularity, whatever it might be that I think will make me happy. If I, if I could just take that, that one thing, it's God, and put it in here, I won't have to worry about all the other stuff. It helped me. It helped me understand this a little bit more. Would you stand, please? Church, we, we have a God who loves us. And he says, I just want to lead you. Trust me. But you can't trust me if you don't know him. Get to know our God. Get to know our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you that we can come and worship you and come to know you more. I pray, Lord, for clarity in our minds to understand you. We cannot fully know you. We cannot fully comprehend the things that you do, but we can know you better. And sometimes we, we, we question why we should, and, and maybe we chase after other things unintentionally. God, help us to pursue you and chase you alone. Help us to know you more so that we can worship you more. God, thank you for this time in which we can just open up the Bible and just be amazed at you because it's all about you. God, we need you in our hearts. We need you in our life. If there's somebody here this morning, Lord, that's like, I've, I've never asked for forgiveness. I've never, I've never prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come to my life. I've never asked for forgiveness of sins. I've never trusted God. I pray this morning, right now, right where we're standing, we'll just, just surrender right now where we're at say, God, forgive me. I trust you. My life is a wreck. My life doesn't make sense at times. My, my life, I, I just don't know where I'm going. I need somebody to lead me. God, be the Lord of my life. Be the God of my life. Come into my heart. Occupy my life. Make your home in me. Help me to follow you. And help me follow only you. God, may that be our prayer this morning. We come to know you and know you better and follow you and trust you. In thy name we pray, amen.